I'm Logan Bishop from Belmont University. And I'm Jenna Spinelli from Penn State. You're listening to Higher Ed Social, part of the Connect EDU network. I was looking outside this morning and I was like, Marin, I'm going to have to mow the grass sometime this week <laughs> that's this is probably earliest i've ever had to mow the grass um but it's like it's like this high oh geez just oh yeah, but it's, it's getting up there but it's pure grass like there's no weeds in it or anything mm. it's just good old fescue <laughs> um so I, i'm pretty i'm pretty excited about i'm pretty excited about this time of year because uh i've been working on it for like four years and this should be like the year this is the year that it's going to be like all green. Um, yeah. It's the great thing about, you know, it's the great thing about owning your house is like, there's just like these little things that you can just take like a hundred percent pride in. Yeah. The, the, the grass is like one of those things. Cause prior guest, he was, he was our um, Dean of students at Belmont for like a year and a half. And now he's got his own radio show and wrote a book and doing all this kind of stuff. His name is John Deloney. One of the things he says is like every day he makes a point to go outside, stand in the grass in his bare feet um, because it's grounding, you know, and it's one of those things that, you know, there's sensation to it. There's like a moment of Zen to it, you know, and Mm -hmm. I don't disagree with him, except when you have that crabgrass that's like really (laughs) painful to like walk on in your bare feet and then it like you lose the experience so that's my goal in life is to not have the grass that i had when i was a kid and finally have that like nice grass you know Um, that water bill is is a thing that's the only thing right that stops me from caring about my grass more right like i care about mine hasn't been that bad mine hasn't been that bad I love the seeding. I love the cutting. I love the manicuring. I love the feeding and the weeding. Only thing I don't like is watering. And it's just because I don't want that bill. That's it. <laughs> That's the only reason. Well, I only water for about 30 minutes a day every other day. I don't do it like every day. Well, I do it every day, but only like a specific part of the yard. Okay, right? so we, we, we jump from every other day to 30 minutes. Now it's every day. <laughs> but you got to think about spots. it. <laughs> 30, minutes, 30 minutes for like a quarter, and it's like a quarter a day, right? So yep. over four days, it, it kind of hits the whole yard, um, which is a lot less expensive than, you know, the whole yard, 30 minutes every other yeah. day. Uh, do you do you have it on a timer or something or yeah. do you actually have to go out and do it? I have a timer and it waters it at four thirty in the morning, which is like definitely before I get up and take a shower. So <laughs> um though lately I've been really bad about waking up super early. It's it the weird pandemic, like this is the thing about the pandemic is now I wake up at four o'clock in the morning and I can't go back to sleep. And it just drive drives me bonkers. Um and it's because I'm not getting enough sunlight. I think that's it. Anyway, we're we're getting all crazy uh, talking about stuff, but welcome everyone to the show. And uh, I'd like to introduce Dar uh, Mayweather. He's our he's our new guest. So why don't you introduce yourself and let us know what you do? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for the invitation, and just thank you for just being just great people 
who want to share great stories, uh, you know, from people who do this work in, uh, in, in higher education. And so uh, Dara Mayweather, I'm a full-time faculty member at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. I teach leadership studies and leadership studies minor. Um, I'm the only full-time faculty member in the leadership studies minor. I, of course, started off as a higher ed student affairs professional, um, got my master's in higher education student affairs leadership uh, from Grand Valley State. Started as a hall director, uh, moved from a hall director to a multicultural affairs coordinator. Um, then I did some um, graduate assistant, teaching assistant work as a leadership studies uh, grad assistant. And then that wasn't paying the bills enough with a full time, you know, with a, with a, a, a wife and a, a son who was full time in daycare and also a homeowner at the time as well. And so that $40,000 pay cut to become a grad student only lasted a year and a half before I took another full-time job um, being a, a grant coordinator for conditional admitted students. Um, and then I knew that I wanted to teach. I've always taken teaching roles or created opportunities for myself to teach um, in a student affairs capacity. And so I was like, I know I want to teach. So I, I decided that I was going to start applying for full-time lecturer jobs um, and landed one. What well, this was, 2019 November started January 2020 and then you know three weeks later I mean well you know a couple weeks later the pandemic and so (laughs) uh, started a new job like two months right before the pandemic hit and that was very very interesting like I've I've only lived in my city two months without restrictions let's just say that (laughs) I get that um Um, that's that's got to be interesting though like going straight from well just starting your job and then three months later having to change up everything uh that you were doing and and this was your uh you're 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 a professor and did you guys transition completely from like in person to online like in that time yep Um, We, we we left on spring break and everything was quote unquote normal um, mm-hmm. after after spring break. And then the Thursday before spring break is up, they're like, we're all online. Official. Don't nobody come back. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and that that was very interesting because I had a few students who were like, so I'm in Mexico and my flight comes back to <laughs> Wilmington, not to my home city. And so they're like, well, you got until this amount of days to get your, you know, get your housing situated. If you want to cancel your housing, we got you got seven days to cancel your housing and move out. Otherwise, you'll be just staying in your room, or um, you got to go home, you know. But you just can't stay here, or you know, unless you decided to opt in to, because you know the. You know how higher ed is. We're we're making sure that nobody gets sued, yep. and so we're going to sign this waiver mm-hmm. to say you're staying on campus. But if you get corona, it's not our fault. <laughs> okay. <laughs> see, I just see, I know. The, by the way, there might not be like food services or you know anything like that, or you know, restricted, very restricted mm-hmm. hours, and you can only mm-hmm. pick it up. Well, you it, know what they so say: much. closing time. You don't have to go home, <laughs> but you can't stay here. Um, sorry, that just popped into my head. I'm just such a '90s kid. Um, 
<laughs> no, that, that reminds me of so many, so many parties. Okay. So many school parties when they allow students to have parties on the campus. You know, I don't know if that actually is a thing anymore. Um, I don't think it was ever a thing at Belmont, <laughs> but you know, we're, we're, we're a little, well, we're not little, but we're, you know, we're a private Christian school. So parties yeah. on campus tend to, well, I mean, not the drinking kind. Um, we definitely have our interesting niches of students, which, you know, we're a music business school, so we just get them from everywhere. So there's yep. definitely like off campus, like the house party. That's a thing. Um, that's also a way for people to get discovered, um, which actually happens a lot, discovered a lot more than I'd in... expect. Yeah. Like discovered by the music industry, which is, which is very interesting. Um, we definitely, I mean, we're Nashville, so, you know, Belmont's right. like right next to music row. So that's where all the record labels are. But, um, it, it's interesting because it's one of those effects that the pandemic has probably had on our student body is that they're not able to like go out and, you know, play at the live venues that they've played at previously, which weirdly enough is actually part of their, like, it's not officially part of the curriculum, but it's actually part of them gaming, gaining experience yeah. um, and like getting themselves known out in the world. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I can, it, it hasn't been helpful for them, um, but they found ways. They have definitely yeah. found ways. And I see it on Instagram. I see it on, I mean, social is a, a really big way. YouTube too is a big way for them to, to like get their music out. But um, it's not the same as playing a live venue, you know? Yeah. Um, like playing a, playing your guitar on, uh, on Instagram live just is not the same. <laughs> It's, um, there's not that feedback from the audience. Oh, that, there's yeah. feedback, I'm sure. Um, but, there's, <laughs> uh, but you know, it's internet feedback, which yeah. is you know, not the same. Yeah, not those connections. No, I, I feel like it's in, it's important. So I'm also not just a you know lecture. Um, I coach, consult, and speak through my company, doing the good work. Um, and I'm yep. also a maximizer, so I have to watch. That's like my top strength. So I have to watch myself sometimes when I'm talking with students or giving advice to people because I want to see them actualize all of their goals. And I'm a very action oriented type of person. And so if I was a lecturer, you know, or a, a, a advisor or something like that of students at Belmont, like especially if they're going into music, I'm I'm having them go all in on not just doing yeah. the live shows and stuff like that but also like now we're in a pandemic so you got to be more creative like doing a zoom concert or doing a you know uh was it um the the other ones like that's like multiple people on the screen or something like handshake or something like yeah. not handshake that's like careers <laughs> handshake um, <laughs> we've had fun episodes about handshake um <laughs> <laughs> right right uh but i'm having them go all in and that's that's the part that i think we we often miss as professionals in the field is getting students to be more um i like to call it like career rational um so Mm -hmm. You say you want to do this thing. Cool. What are you doing right now to become the thing that you want to do versus just saying, oh, well, I'm getting this degree. Therefore, I'm going to become the thing that I want to do. And that's, that's actually not how it works. Um, a piece of paper doesn't validate anything. 
um, as far as like your career trajectory, right? It, it validates the knowledge that you might have gained, but that just because you got a criminal justice degree doesn't mean that you've done anything in the criminal justice system. And therefore your competition mm -hmm. who might have already been doing criminal justice things, juvenile justice things, been in the correction system, work in the facilities, see how much farther of a leg up they have on you already. And so that that's that's one of my biggest, I think a big shift that I've made um, and becoming a faculty member from being a student affairs practitioner is I'm not just telling students to go get some feel good experiences. It's like, no, like the thing that you say you wanna do, you should be doing it right now. And if your school does not specialize in that, you're already at a disadvantage compared to, to your competition globally, because there are schools that specialize yeah. in that thing that students who graduate have connections automatically in the field. And all they got to do is go to a, a late night program from their college, right? Whereas your college doesn't do any late night programming. You know, when I mean college, I mean academic college, right? Like some kind of um, right. Uh, 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 meet and greets, recruiting sessions, those things that academic colleges do. Many colleges or programs and, and academic colleges don't have that. And so how are you preparing yourself to be a broadcaster when your, your experience only is in the classroom, right? Um, where we know if you graduate from mm -hmm. University of Florida, Tim Tebow went to that college, you know, it's like, you know, Jesse Palmer, a lot of these famous yeah. ESPN analysts went to these colleges. They have an automatic connection to those folks. And so I, I, that's a huge part of my pivot, not just as a, a, a faculty member, but also as a business owner is kind of helping my students see you got to be more you got to be more technically rational. That's the that's what they call it um, in the in the literature. Um, but you know, career, you know, need to be more career focused now versus waiting until you graduate. Mm -hmm. And do they follow your advice? Oh, they, the ones who, so we, they all like, yeah, I love this. It makes sense. And I'm like, okay, so the first step is to start with your schedule. And then like, what do you mean? I'm like, you need to start with your schedule. Like you need to budget your time all the way to zero every week for months. And they're like, what do you mean months? Yeah. I don't even know what I'm doing next week. I'm like, well, then clearly you're not ready to be a professional in your field. <laughs> you know, like, um, <laughs> and they're like, well, oh, that makes sense, right? Like, because I'm like, scheduling is adulting to me. Um, and so I, I had yes. one student who met with me last year, was like, I get it. And then met with me again this year and was like, yeah, I didn't do that from last year still. And I'm like, well, we can't start this process until you know your schedule because you don't know where you're wasting time. You don't know where you can manipulate time. Uh, we're thinking about mastery when we're talking about scheduling because adults master their schedule. And, you know, I think about when I was yes. a child, um, when I had karate and, you know, baseball, I didn't think about how much time it takes me to eat, how much time it takes to get there, how much time it takes for me to set up. How much time it takes for me to change clothes? How much time for me to get changed out of my clothes after I'm done? How much time it takes to get back home? What about the traffic, right? And then if I need a meal again before I get before I go to bed or if I got to get my homework done, I never tracked none of that. My mom did all of that for me, right? And now as adults, we go into colleges and 
these students have never had a, the time to master their schedule. And therefore, they are wasting time that they don't even know. And they always say, I don't have time. And the reality is that's not true. <laughs> right? um, mm-hmm. Or they'd be like, well, I'm in class all day. The reality is that's not the truth. Right. You're in class. You're in three classes for you know three and a half hours. What are you doing with the rest of that time of the day? That's the question. And, and I think one of the things that they don't realize, and this is something I had to realize too in my professional career um, and in college too, um, was that just because you schedule things doesn't mean you can't schedule fun and you can't schedule free time where you can do whatever you want to. It's just a matter of making sure that that's there because that is just as important. Um, it doesn't mean you're not going to have free time. It just means that you're finding ways to get done and have free time at the same time. And I mean, I still struggle with that, uh, on a, on a, on a weekly basis. Um, (laughs) because you know, I, I, I'm a runner, so I have to, I, I have to run in order to maintain my ability to run. So if I, if I go a week without running, then I actually lose, I, I, I go back a few steps um, so I have to schedule that kind of time. Yep. You know, I, I want to be involved in, in things, extracurricular things, um, outside of, of work that are kind of related. I'm part of a, um, you know, my professional organization. I'm a, I'm a committee member. I actually am a committee chair, um, for my organization, Hi Ed Web. So, um, I need to schedule in time for that. Mm-hmm. I need to schedule in time to spend with my kid. Mm-hmm. I need to schedule in time to play my PlayStation because I Ooh. enjoy playing my PlayStation. Um, you said something I- really interesting that I I always like to this is the breaking point for students when I'm like breaking down my my work to them. They uh-huh. like, "Well, I value my family." I'm like, "Okay, well, your family where's your family on your schedule?" And they're like, "Okay, well, you know, I I you know, I talk to my mom every day. I'm like, "Wait, wait. You say you value your family." They're like, yeah, I talk to my mom every day. I'm like, that's not, that's two different things, right? You, when you really audit your time, you get a chance to see that you really don't value your family. You value your mother, right? (laughs) You don't talk to everybody in your family. You, you got a dad, right? And dads get left out all the time, you know, (laughs) like, do you talk to your dad? Like you talk to your mom? No. Okay. I ain't saying you don't care about your dad, but I'm saying is, he doesn't have time in your schedule. And what we know is if you can, if I look at what you spend your money on and you spend your time on, that's what you really value. And so you don't value your family. You value your mother and you love your family. And that's our, those are two different things. <laughs> okay. um, and, and when they, when they see that, I'm, they like, wow, like, dang. And some of them are like, dang, like I hate my big brother. You know, because he don't have no time on my schedule, but I'll be spending time with my little brothers and sisters, right? Like, I'm making sure that I spend, I come home to spend time with my little brothers and sisters, or I make sure that I go do something with them every weekend or whatever. But big brother is like, I don't even text him, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and so, that I think, again, that's the, the scheduling piece. It has to be, it has to be based on fact. It has to be a realization, of who you actually are um, and not just this facade of who you think you are, or who you think you're going to be. That is deep and true. 
um, I think we all, I think we all, we all definitely probably prioritize some family members over others. Absolutely. Um, and it's normal, right? And like, now in normal. the, in the pandemic, it's easier than ever to ignore the people that you don't want to talk to, you know, or there's the whole dynamics are just different. It is. And, you know, I, I've had family things lately. You mentioned, you know, people don't talk to their dads that much, you know, um, not to get too thing, but yeah, you should definitely talk to your dad because one day he <laughs> won't be here and then you'll be very sad about that. Um, but you also have to remember that, you know, you can't forget all the family that you have. And, you know, one of the things that I ran into, um, what, two years ago, um, I, I took a DNA test and I already knew I was adopted, found a whole bunch of new family by accident. Um, and, you know, now I've got another sister and another brother. And, you know, it, it's interesting because you have to find time to build the relationships with people, um, especially with ones that you just you found out you had. Um, so it, it's, it's very interesting um, and something I need to do better for sure. Um, but I always have the excuse of, oh, I'm so busy. I forgot to do it. Um, and, and that's one of those things you just have to put it on your Outlook calendar. Yeah. Um, because it starts to, and as sad as that is, that's one of those things that I've like really forced myself to do is start putting stuff into outlook just because, well, I guess that's where we are now. Um, yeah. I mean, gotta... and it's, it, and it goes, so it, it, I can go so deep with the schedule. Like I love, yeah. like, I love this. I love it. Right. Because even as an entrepreneur, um, and like a person who, you know, speaks on coaches on consults on race and equity everybody wants that work right now mm-hmm. and uh it's funny because i'm talking to these ceos i'm talking to deans i'm talking to college presidents now about what they're doing or where they're trying to go and i always just ask like what have you done and they're like well you know they're looking to their assistant or whatever to, you know, give them all the records and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, but I also don't want this information from your assistant. You know, like, I don't, I'm not going to treat this like, like we already on contract or something, you know, um, I'm treating it more on a, on a, just a very basic level of, what have you done? Like, what is on your schedule? What has been on your schedule as a race of racial equity? And they're like, nothing. And I'm like, this is an indicator of now you're trying to go from nothing to everything. That is a huge jump, right? Whereas there are folks who are like, no, we actually have this consortium every year. And then we do this speech every year. And then we do, I open up, for our uh, you know research symposium this year, and, and these are the years that we focus on equity and inclusion, and those I'm having also having interactions with folks like that, and I'm like, yo, like y'all have done some work that is allowable for you to build on, but if you have done nothing, you know, again, we're talking about these are people with PhDs, and so I'm like, if you cannot quantify how much time that you spent doing work on racial equity. It's going to be very hard for you to go from zero to 100 percent capacity on this work. And, you know, it's very, mm-hmm. it's, you know, kind of keeping it as simple as possible. If you go from running zero miles 
to 100 miles the next day, you're going to feel it a lot different than a person who <laughs> already has you know 50 miles in their schedule all the time, right? And then they jump into that 100 mile. Yep. It It is very, these are concepts that they understand, but when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, a lot of things just goes out the window because we're operating out of fear. We're operating out of anxiety. Uh, we might even be operating out of defensiveness, um, avoidance, right? And and those are clear indicators that, you know, competency levels are low, right? And so, yeah, I, I, mm-hmm. the scheduling, it, it has so many pieces of uh, part of my work, not just with students, but also as a consultant. So how do you get people to move away from operating out of that place of fear or, or anxiety? You know, I think that one of the things it's just, there's so much external pressure from, you know, social media or, or other, just, you know, other areas, peer groups, et cetera, that, you know, people need to really do this work and do it in a hurry. Mm. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a really good question. I, I personally feel that, DEI work is very relational. And so what I what I feel like people stop themselves from is they stop themselves from feeling any kind of level of shame, blame, or guilt. I don't want to go into this training because I in the last training, they made me feel some way about myself. Um, I'd rather it be safe. And I'm like, so that's that's the, one of the first things I have to really kind of address is um Safe T is not assured when you're talking about 400 years plus of oppression. I can't assure safety for not just um, the people who are um, agent groups, you know, privileged groups in this space, but I, I can't assure safety for people who are marginalized and, you know, from um, target groups or targeted groups. And so we need to move from safe to brave. Like, are you courageous enough to actually have a conversation that might cause you to have some emotions that you're not fully understanding of? If you are, which most of them are because they've done it, they've navigated it, just maybe not in DEI work. And then I I go into the space of, all right, this is about relationship building. And what we know about relationship building is our best relationships do not center shame, blame, and guilt. It exists. Like, if I do something wrong, my wife will let me know, <laughs> right? But she also forgives me, and we move forward. And because and, and that's what your best relationships do. And so we need to operate when we are trying to do DEI work as if we're trying to create new best friends. That, that's kind of how I put it. Um, and so when you are trying to have, you feel this connection, you feel this, you know, this deep, you know, level, deeper level of, of conversation with somebody. What we need to do is operate as if if they make a mistake, we can still show them grace. We can still show them forgiveness because we know that our their intentions are not to, to, to make us feel like terrible people. Oftentimes we have created this, uh, um, you, you, you know, uh, this all or nothing type of mentality. When a person makes a mistake or a person says something wrong, you are now the the, the uh, prototypical ex, ex, uh, 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 100% um, fully enraged racist now, right? <laughs> Versus 
Like, nah, I'm not versus where did that come from? Or, you know, what made you think that way? Right. The things that we would do in our real relationships, our best relationships is we help them reframe. But when we are in these type of conversations with folks who we we're nervous, we're operating out of fear, anxiety, we don't think about the reframing at all. It just you're racist. I can't deal with you. I don't want to talk with you no more. And then let me gossip about you to the rest of the people in the organization. Um, And that's not going to help us get to where we need to go in this conversation. Wow. (laughs) We all have people in our lives that we definitely need to do some reframing with, especially when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, I definitely got people in my life that, you know, in person when I'm sitting talking to them, they can be, you know, a really amazing, like understanding person. But then, you know, when they get on the internet, it's not quite like that. Congruent. Um, yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. And wait, so so you mean the internet is not real life, Logan? Is that uh, some breaking news happening right now? Is that- <laughs> For somebody, it might be. My, uh, my personal take, though, is this like the internet should be real life. And, and I say that from a standpoint of understanding the empathy of others, right? Mm. What you see is not a profile picture, a name, and a comment. What you see is a person. There's a person on the other side. And probably one of the biggest problems with our society right now is that people don't look at people as people when they're online. They don't. They, yeah. they just don't they don't think that their words have consequences for the other person that they're talking to. And I say that from experience as someone who's, you know, run social media for, you know, a mid-sized university, you know, um, words hurt. Even if they're like directed at the institution, the person who has to read them, if you have to read a thousand horrible things being said at you um, and you can't do anything about it, um, it hurts and it, and, 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 you know, we've talked about it on the show before, but I think that's one of the issues with, with the internet and the polarization that we have is that we just don't, we don't yeah. take it. We don't consider the offline lives of the people that we're, we're talking to. Um, sometimes it's fun. I mean, when you're, you know, when I'm on the internet, you know, discussing star Wars or star Trek. And we're like having some kind of nerdy conversation, in which we have a disagreement. I think that's one thing, but uh, on the other side, you know, I see just the ugliness, especially when it comes to the way people discuss diversity, um, you know, equality and inclusion just online. And a lot of it's fear. There's a lot of fear of change. There's a lot of fear of, you know, and, and hurt feelings because people take it personally and they think it's about them. Um, but they also don't, I think you're right about having the bravery to face it and to face the other people and see them as people, because that's truly, that's true bravery there. It, it, it is kind of cowardly just to say something ugly to someone and then just like block and that's it. You know? I mean, um, I, I don't know. I mean, Logan, I mean, cause you, you beg to ask the question, of what is a person yeah you know especially thinking about in society and thinking about in american history you know we've written laws that said that people 
were not human. Yeah. That were human, right? And we have now the question of, I want to see the humanity in people. Well, I don't know if I've ever seen an alien before. So why wouldn't I not see the humanity in people? And so I think we, right. we assume that, uh, well, I think one thing we assume that it is a person on side of that profile and, you know, the bots are real, right? Like that is a real thing right now. And they are real on social media, the bots. Right. Um, but, but I also think that when, when we say that, what do we really mean? Like, do we really mean that we have a self-fulfilled person on the other end that's really living out the quote unquote American dream by, you know, creating spaces mm-hmm. that uh, empower and, and include people and make people feel like uh, it's purposeful and ethical, right? Or are we talking about just mm-hmm. a person literally living and breathing? Uh, your prototypical American is, you know, probably dealing with unemployment issues, you know, not, you know, college educated, um, is, you know, under minimum wage, right? Like, those are the things that's really the you know the average american are really experiencing um and so i think it's it's very much so for us to think deeper about what we mean by a person is on the other side of the screen because we don't we don't treat people the same across the country no we don't i'm a, i'm a, yeah. i'm a disruptor you know, when i well. when I'm i was thinking no 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 no, no, no. you process. know when, when when i think of the people when i think of the people that i usually argue with it's mostly people that I probably know in real life in some way, shape, or form. I don't engage as much on Twitter, um, which is a little more wild out there, um, than, say, Facebook or Instagram, um, where there's usually a pretty good chance that I know the person. Yeah, and, you know, I I think that um, we – I'm often struck. So I I work a lot in the kind of political space, and I I think that we – maybe have a lot more in common than we think we do sometimes or we we let ourselves believe but there's all this like just all this stuff that that gets in the way sometimes and i spend a lot of time trying to think about how to like clear some of that away or you know break through to help you know f- help us find common cause with one another yeah that and that's the that's the hard work that i think um they don't teach in elementary school um is and they don't teach in middle school and they don't teach in high school is especially as these kids get older, like how our socializations impact our interactions with people and how we see individuals. Um, you know, you, a child can be, you know, show racist behaviors as early as two years old. Um, and then there is no, there are many times the institutions um, in that community is also reinforcing that racist behavior. Um, it just becomes deep. And I think, if we're going to get better at, you know, the whole humanity piece, right? Seeing people as people piece, we had to first start with the, you know, the understanding that we, we created systems that allow uh, institutions to not see people as people. Um, and, and that's where we need to start, right? We, you know, a slave was a three fifths of a person or, um, you know, women, I would even say in America, were not seen as people, Right, who can um, participate in a democratic society, and so, in order for us to fully start actualizing some of these other goals as a society, we have to we have to unearth like why people don't see people as people. Mm-hmm. But that's just my thoughts, you know. And that's, you know, that's a, no. I mean, that's it's uh, it's it's a it's a hard thing 
to do. And it's, it's hard, I think, also, and I, I'd be curious to know what, what you think about this. It's hard to, like, you know, package it up. Like, I'm on your, your site now, and I see, you know, you have webinars and, and courses. I mean, how do you think about, like, taking these big, broad, complicated, tough topics and issues and kind of, like, boiling them down into things that are consumable in today's technical, like, consumer world? Yeah, I think that's where the speaking and my webinars has really played a huge role in building the brand um, is I I look at speaking as entertainment is not is I look at speaking as a part of the entertainment industry. I don't I don't look at it as a as a, a, a sole mechanism of education. Uh, if you want education, you go to a lecture. Right. Um, you know, you enroll in a class. Um, if you want, you know, entertainment, you get a speaker. You know, you right, um, and so I think for me when I speak, I'm not just only you know talking about the facts and you know in research and all that good stuff, but I'm also talking about my lived experience. I'm talking about you know my life and sharing you know my journey, my story um, about like being you know starting this journey in 2010, having never. Uh, taught a diversity, equity, inclusion class, and now I'm teaching stuff to students that I've never practiced in my own in my own life. That was a huge change, right? Um, and then you know I talk about valuing my schedule and valuing family, but then when I looked at my schedule, my family wasn't on it. And anytime somebody would call me or want to meet with me during quote unquote family time, they got that slot. Because my family wasn't the real priority. It was making money or whatever that thing was, right? So I actually had to put my family on my schedule, block that time. Um, I also had to find a job where I could I could kind of be a little bit more flexible with my nine to five time um, so that I can do the things that I really care about and I'm passionate about, which is speaking, consulting, coaching. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's talking about those things, you know, like I'm saying like, oh, yeah, my family, literally like my wife is my world. But then when somebody wanted to do a consultant call or a coaching call at 630 when that's supposed to be family time, they got that time. And that's not necessarily showing that that my wife is a, the priority that I say she is. Um, so the, a part of that is that I think also just knowing how to hit people's pain points Um you know, the shame, blame and guilt thing, I think that is one of those things that has allowed for me to really simplify my work um, and simplify my message. Right. You want a program where you don't where you don't leave feeling shame, blame and guilt. <laughs> right. Especially a program on race. So hire me, you know, book the opening conversations on race webinar where I don't center shame, blame and guilt. I actually center relationship building strategies that we use every day. And we add a racial lens to it so that you can literally practice. You know, um, I give stories about uh, how like politeness is some of the things that we want in racial conversations. But politeness didn't get us here. <laughs> right? yeah. um, and, and, and it's like, oh, well, we can have a conversation about race only if you talk to me like you're my therapist. Right. <laughs> like make me feel like I can put my feet on your couch. You know, like, doing stuff like that gets people to see that we can still have a hard conversation, but have fun doing it. 
because we still have those fun stories too. <laughs> we just choose to center the shame, blame, and guilt stories because they stick out the most to us. I think that's a good place to end for today. <laughs> yeah, this has been great. Thanks, Dar, so much for being on the show. It's so great talking to you. Yes. Hey, uh, hey yo, anybody who has a question, I'm doing this new thing now where folks just, uh, you want to know something, you know, at doing a good work, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, shoot me a message. And I'm like voice answering questions. Like, and that takes me no time um, versus like, e- like a text message takes time. It takes more time for me, I guess. Um, I'm a little bit, you know, I just, I, when I start <laughs> typing, I feel like I got to think. Um, and mm-hmm. but when I talk, it's just, it just feels like it's more natural. Um, and so folks can, you know, reach out to me, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn at doing the good work, good Mayweather on Twitter, um, email me info at doing the good work. Um, so that, you know, if you have any questions that I feel like you, you feel like you can, you just got about DEI, I would love to be a resource. And so, and that costs you nothing. Um, now, if you want to go on my schedule, that might, that might, you know, be a little bit of coins, <laughs> right? But um, no, I, I'm doing this new thing and I would love to engage as many people as, as needed. Well, that's awesome. Uh, listeners, head down to higher-ed.social and get links to everything Dar just said um, and the stuff we talked about today. And subscribe to our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us and it lets us know what you think of the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at HES Podcast. Um, send us a tweet. We love talking to you. And don't forget to let us know if you want to be on the show. Higher Ed Social was created by Jackie Vitrano and me, Logan Bishop, and is produced by the awesome Emma Haas. We're part of the Connect EDU network, the first podcast network for higher education. Visit the website connectedu.network and subscribe to some awesome shows no matter where you work on campus. Thanks, and we'll see you in a couple weeks.